Hey, Cloudcast community, listen up. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform. Datadog was built to bring clarity to complex dynamic applications, whether they're in the cloud, on-prem, in containers, or wherever you run your applications. With powerful dashboards, seamless integrations, and more than 250 technologies they can monitor, Datadog has you covered. Whether it's AWS, Azure, Google services, your popular open source projects and products, or web security and APIs, Datadog can help you monitor them and help you collaborate around troubleshooting them and make sure they're running great. Datadog provides deep end-to-end visibility into the health and performance of modern applications. So try it yourself. Get yourself a free 14-day trial. Go to datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. That's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast to try out your free 14-day trial. And if you try it out, let them know your friends at Cloudcast sent you, and they'll send you a great, uh, wonderful, soft, awesome t-shirt with the Datadog logo on it. I wear mine all the time. So once again, that's datadoghq.com slash cloudcast. Thanks for listening, and here comes the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. No Brian this week, this is Aaron. Um, And we've got, hopefully, a very interesting show from both an international and uh, emerging tech and discussion standpoint. We have Dave Blakey, CEO of Snapped today. How are you doing today, Dave? I am doing well, thank you, and yourself? Good, 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 good. So... Why don't we start off very quickly with, um, because I did mention the international flavor, give everyone a brief intro to your background, your location, and kind of your history uh, coming up in the industry. Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is largely in kind of uh, open source, free and open source software uh, and networking. So uh, I background in kind of bandwidth management, subscriber management for ISPs, carriers, things like that, uh, in primarily third world environments. So hence also me being from South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa, not Cape Town where everyone has been. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, that's where we grew snapped uh, our company today and, and kind of expanded it from. So yeah, my background is in open source. And you know, it used to be in the days where you know, you wouldn't say open source in a boardroom, I guess, you know, people were, were hiding it. And then there was this dramatic shift to now that uh, open source is, you know, great and popular and kind of respected. Uh, and it's just been quite a lot of fun riding that wave, I guess. Yeah. And so tell everyone a little bit uh, specifically, because we do have, um, you know, a very large international audience without a doubt. But, you know, we actually can go look at our stats um, somewhat uh, geographically around the world. And, and our stats primarily tend to come from where we would, you know, probably expect it to come from, which means the predominant amount of listeners tend to be um, North America, Europe, or Asia, and, and, and Australia as well. But I would say South America and South Africa tend to be severely underrepresented um, historically. And so what are some of the kind of challenges um, that you mentioned uh, earlier when it comes to dealing with uh, that area of the world specifically? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we 
have an interesting kind of, I guess it's, it's a bit of a split, you know, there's, there's challenges and opportunities. I think historically there's been a lot less people that are exposed to the tech world and, you know, just uh, hobbyists, which are the kind of people that we hire, you know, people that would be playing with their uh, computer anyway, people that were, you know, playing with Linux or Linux when it was uh, very young and so on. And, and it's just not a, a large amount of those type of people because people didn't have access to it. At the same time, that's changing quite quickly. Uh, and we've got a lot of talented developers and people here that are coming from working for banking and, you know, traditional industries in South Africa uh, that are now starting to get exposure to startups. So it's a bit of both. You know, you must remember, like, obviously, we have less capital here. So it's harder to raise startup funding for a lot of companies. And so that whole kind of Silicon Valley ecosystem doesn't exist as much but we've got our own little silicon cape in cape town now and there's a lot of kind of premier vcs that operate around here and so it's changing a lot um you know i think hopefully your numbers will improve soon from uh, south africa but yeah i mean we do just have a I, I guess a kind of a lack of people that have been fortunate enough to be exposed to all that kind of stuff so very interesting dave and and tell us a little bit more too because you're kind of self-proclaimed, excuse me, entrepreneur at heart, but at the same time, like you said, not necessarily in Silicon Valley or in that, that ecosystem or that culture. And so tell us a little bit more about the, those trends you see or have seen uh, because Snapped isn't necessarily your, your first endeavor. Yeah, exactly. That's that's true. Um, so, I mean, look, let me be clear and say, uh, firstly, that most of Snap's business today is in the U.S., uh, and that's where I spend most of my time, both thinking and, you know, being there a lot. Uh, but, yeah, there's opportunities and, like I said before, opportunities and, and kind of problems with not being there, I guess. Um, so it's a little bit of a harder landscape, I think, to get startup funding. We're a startup company, you know, that was VC funded, et cetera, in South Africa. Uh, but at the same time, we have great people here that we're not competing against, you know, the the top kind of talent in in the valley where it's very difficult to get uh developers and engineers you know so i think more and more you're going to see startups coming from you know quote unquote third world territories like south africa india even australia you know these non-traditional locations for startup uh, tech startup businesses just because they have a lot of talent now uh and you know the funding and ecosystem is starting to develop like since since snap snap started five years ago i mean when we were going around town talking to vcs in the beginning there were like two or three vcs we went to see now there's hundreds you know so it's rapidly changing uh and i think that that's great both for the country but i think also for you know people outside the country that are starting to use that technology and things like that you know we used to think when we first started snapped i used to think it would be a challenge or difficult you know operating in the u.s like 65 percent of our clients like i said are in the u.s uh but it really hasn't been a problem you know um it's just i guess the nature of business today uh a lot of the time even when we're on a conference call with the u.s company it'll be with two people that are in two different states you know so this like more modern business environment i guess really has created uh, like the opportunity for non-us or uk businesses to thrive yeah and, and to kind of bring together really two trends in one that you discussed there both the open source trend as well as the the location trend um, to give you a, for instance, uh, we were recently at um, uh, an event called All Things Open, um, and it actually is, was here local in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's one of, you know, probably two trade shows a year that are in the the Raleigh area, and 
All Things Open was in its sixth year, if I remember correctly, and has grown from, you know, a couple hundred people the the first year to over 4,000 people this year. And and it actually is surprising to see the growth around that. Now, don't get me wrong. Red Hat, you know, is headquartered here, and that certainly has something to do with it. But there was a large amount of customers, a large amount of folks coming in from all over the country. And one of the common themes or common conversations was it was nice to see this not in the valley. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and it's the shift. I mean, a large point. Look, Red Hat probably does drive it, but uh, like one of the one of the kind of fundamental principles that we have a, as a business belief, but I think it's probably largely driven by me thinking that is that I think that uh, this whole cloud native, this explosion of all these kind of exciting things that are happening today, uh, free and open source software is ultimately going to win. Uh, and that's kind of funny coming from a vendor that sells closed source software, right? <laughs> but <laughs> what I mean to say is that they're they're starting to dominate. They're winning, you know. And and I mean in big enterprise lines. So like uh, us, we look at how we can work with those uh, solutions, with those companies to to add value, you know. But yeah, I mean that's where the trend is going. Is that open source Linux, etc., will be leading the space it is already leading the space certainly when you look at containers and you know microservices kubernetes or you know it's that's where the game is now it's not like that's not the cheap alternative or the free alternative or you know the the bleeding edge alternative that's just the main plan yeah Uh, so i think you know you'll see a a lot of expansion and that type of stuff yeah and let's so let's dig into the tech a little bit then as well then so so you mentioned open source and, and your your company. It was interesting when I was kind of researching all of this, you know, the thing that immediately pops into my head is, oh, it's a networking company. Oh, it's not hardware based. So it's, you know, it's SDN. Um, but at the same time, you kind of have, and it was, an I admit, a new concept to me um, of ADC. And so give us your thoughts a little bit of like, okay, what is SDN? What is ADC? And, and a little bit more of just kind of the state of you know, non-hardware networking in general in the industry right now? Yeah, well, I so I think that the, the biggest component, you know, the biggest kind of vendor neutral answer to that is is that it's the user that's changing so much and it's probably the people that you were bumping into at a conference, you know. Uh, it, it, the consumer of SDN, ADC, all these type of networking services has changed a lot. And, you know, we can throw around the DevOps word, but it really is that shift away from kind of networking focused engineers into people that are, are caring about the entire kind of platform from the application to the servers they're running onto the infrastructure to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And in that environment, SDN and ADC play very similar roles in, in how they speak to those users, you know. So just to touch on what ADC does, obviously, is, you know, in the past, we had a load balancer. Load balancer is responsible for distributing your inbound traffic to your servers as, as you grow. Uh, and all traffic nowadays is HTTP. So that's one of the drivers as well of this, like, kind of a lot of the FOSS stuff is that all, you know, HTTP servers are running on FOSS as well now. Um, but people started to say ourselves included what value can we add to this you know if, if all we're doing all day is load balancing http traffic can we make it go faster can we add security can we uh you know monitor response times on servers and all that kind of stuff and that's what an adc is it's this thing that came out of there that's primary goal is to to ensure the availability scalability uh and security of some high value or high performance web service so in that way, you know, when we look in a software-only environment like we run, uh, whether it's in container environments, VM environments, whatever, it's quite similar to, to SDN because it's people that are, you know, deploying 
today or tomorrow type of deployments next gen uh, that want flexibility and agility and that as, a, as kind of a standard. Uh, and a lot of that is driven by open source software. Yeah. And the people, the consumer of that is all, all these new DevOps. You know, a lot of the time, like for us, we're a networking company and we communicate about half our clients are developers. Uh, it's just a dramatic shift in the market, really. And so you bring up a really good point there that popped in my head around, okay, so you mentioned containers, you mentioned VMs, and so obviously this is software-defined in, in some way, but is this, you know, is it a container package? Is this an o- o- OVF for VMware? Is this an AMI? Is this all of the above? And And how do you manage that from a technology and packaging standpoint that seems like a you know a pretty interesting challenge to tackle of to offer the same product in so many different ways when it's it, it's beyond a packaging exercise at some point correct yeah absolutely and it is a challenge but it's you know it's kind of empowered by the state of things today so we we sell most of our clients are running snapped on a vm and when I say VM, I mean, you know, an instance like so either on VMware or perhaps, uh, you know, it's an AMI that's running in, in Amazon or in Azure or whatever it might be. They've got an instance of Snap that's running. Uh, a lot of our clients are also using our Docker images or a lot of clients might be running on Tin. Uh, so what we provide is we provide VM images, we provide container images, we provide all those things. But the real core of what we do is develop a software package that runs on Linux. That's what Snapped actually is. It runs on Linux, right? So when we provide you a VM, uh, it's our pre-optimized and customized and whatever uh, version of Linux. So because we can be deployed on any Linux system, because we just wrote a, a, you know, a piece of software for Linux, it allows us almost like infinite flexibility. You know? <laughs> I guess we made the right decision early on. But when containers rose, uh, you know, we were the first to run in containers natively because that's what we've always done because it's just a software package. So it makes things a lot easier for us because, you know, even if you've got your own flavor of Linux people, some people are Red Hat Enterprise clients or, you know, SUSE or whatever. And, and, you know, if you've just got a package that can run on Linux, you can run basically anywhere now. And how do you deal with, or, or, or maybe you all have, a, it's already a solved problem, but, I, you know, I'm kind of thinking about it from a end user perspective. So how does, how does that deal with like the dependencies and all of the other things that would normally just be a nightmare um, of something as cross-platform as something like this. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we we have two kind of, I guess, modes of operation. And, and by far the most people will use some sort of image from us. So a, a pre-built system, you know, whether it's a OVF, a, you know, VHD, VMX, or, or a Docker container or whatever it might be. Uh, and there everything is preloaded. But we do actually let you uh, just run an install script on, on any Linux device that will fetch the snap code and then, you know, compile what you need on box and, and set it up and spin it up for you. So, and that's the, I suppose the key thing is that's how we build our images. So we do the same thing when we run it on our Linux platform, right? Or when we build our AMI for Amazon or, uh, you know, our images for, for Azure, we run the exact same thing. So we have stuck to being a software package to, for Linux, even though most of our clients, you know, would use it in, a, in an easier to consume kind of format. Uh, and, and that's been great for us. I mean, it's something, you know, like I would 100% recommend even in the networking world, like we're a networking, high-performance networking vendor, you know, but we went the path of just saying, you know, let's do something in, in kind of user land on Linux and we get great performance. It's agile, it's flexible, and it's easy to deploy. I mean, uh, you know, just leveraging that. 
And and how does that fit into because you had mentioned kind of DevOps and, and automation and kind of a new you know uh, new skill set is the words I was looking for for mm. you know typical network uh, architects how does it fit in typically today like what are some of the customer use cases and and the tool chains and how does all of that kind of work end to end oh, it's changed so much. I, I mean, I, I would start by saying, look, a lot of the environment still looks quite similar. You know, we are uh, competing with or replacing existing kind of legacy vendors that, you know, in the same sort of fashion. But the the more exciting kind of new age stuff is where, you know, it's really exciting and where Snap's strengths are. And, I, you know, I don't want to use just ADC as an example because I think it's an important trend like across the market, not just happening to Snap, is this changing uh, consumer, you know. So in our environment, though, you would get someone that was, you know, a like the load balancer network engineer, uh, you know, the, and they were trained on specifically F5 or Citrix Netscale or whatever it might be, and their job was just running that. Uh, and you would have one or two expensive devices at the front of your network, and you know, you would log a ticket to get them to make a change, and they'd back bill you for your usage, and and that just doesn't happen anymore. We've got clients that have got 400 ADCs deployed. And so you think, well, well, how? How does that work? That doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, how does, what's the model for that? What are the, how are they running them? Where are they, you know, and you start to ask all these questions. What you realize is that they're, people are tending towards these easy to move, easy to deploy, easy to spin up like microservice type deployments where they're happy to say, yeah, I've got my SDN set up, my, you know, my ADC, my database servers, my everything that I need to run this uh, as almost like an infrastructure as code type of deployment. And really, uh, we're trying to stay out of the way, I guess, rather than be in the way, right? So, you know, <laughs> sure. we're providing a service, but trying to say, well, let's let's empower that instead of requiring them to design it around us, um, which I think is kind of a more of a legacy thing around networking, you know, where people would have to build a product around how the network would work or how the ADC would work or whatever it might be. Uh, and so, this DevOps consumer is, is, you know, much more concerned about the application as a whole and the day-to-day of the application. You know, you used to get in, – in businesses I've worked in, people used to say things like, well, we don't touch the load balancer. It's working. You know, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, and and there's, that applies to a lot of networking equipment, uh, you know, from that kind of era. Whereas now, like we certainly see our clients are more interested in finding out, you know, what are the response times from servers? What, after last night's deployment, did server response time speed up? Did it slow down? Are certain servers slower than others? You know, and, and if they are, then send them a message in a Slack channel where the developers are all hanging out. And so – Instead of this like huge focus on the complexity of installing and deploying a system, you know, and that's like things like Kubernetes and they're solving that as well now. Instead of focusing so much on what features and what you know, how many rules you can have and, and you know all that stuff when you deploy, there's much more value in what happens post deploying it and, and how you ensure like the quality of that service. In our industry, that means that people stopped caring about a server going offline because that's just unacceptable nowadays, right? Like, you know, people have enough servers that if, if there's a failure, they, they have to, it stays online, right? Like things are just online all the time. So now instead they care about optimizing that, about improving that, measuring it, monitoring it, all that kind of visibility stuff. And the people that care about that are in a lot of cases the application owners or developers. Yeah. Um, so, Go ahead. you know, we speak to different people. No, no, no. I, I was just finishing up that we speak yep. to different people. That was it. <laughs> no, no, no. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so, so it'll be interesting. I have two ways to go here. One is consolidation and one is fragmentation. So I probably need to, I'll, I'll ask them one at a time since they're so different. <laughs> so 
I, you know, I tend to have an infrastructure and, and storage background. Historically, I, I'm, I've been less focused on the network side and, and certainly on the security side. But it seems to me that there is the, the same way on the infrastructure side, like you were mentioning earlier, like, okay, you know, this is this person's job and this person's job. And you used to have these old tool chains that actually depended on people in different roles of, okay, the, you know, the storage admin passed something to the server admin who passed something to the virtualization admin, but all of those roles are morphing and changing and consolidating. What roles are you seeing consolidate on the networking side and the security side? And do you actually see that happening? So 100% of them uh, would be my answer, honestly. I, and that, that goes from, you know, we have a lot of Fortune 500 companies. So when I'm talking, I'm talking from small startups, even businesses like ourselves, all the way up to the top. Uh, those roles are just merging and it's not – by some grand design that, you know, this is the more efficient way and let's remove silos. And it's by necessity because the same tools are delivering the same job and they, they're also interdependent. And, you know, it's just you can't deploy these type of environments, these like hyperscale and, and cloud native environments by being a specialist in one component of it. And you can't be that much of a specialist in all the components. So what you have, you know, he, here's the buzzword, right? You have these multidisciplinary engineers deploying cloud-native stuff in multi-cloud and multi-VM environments. And what that really means is just you've got guys that are saying, okay, yesterday this was the greatest tech stack. Today, what's the greatest tech stack for this deployment? How should I spin this thing up? How can I make it agile and scalable? And, you know, how can I mitigate my risks? And a lot of the time, that means just looking at a whole bunch of technologies and, and kind of grabbing the bull by the horns you know so that's where we see the kind of consolidation is that it's it's almost impossible for you to choose what adc you need or what load balance configuration or wave acceleration configuration you need unless you actually understand the entire environment and that goes all the way down into the code you know yeah um go ahead yeah yeah sorry i was just umming for no reason <laughs> <laughs> no worries no worries go ahead <laughs> uh, yeah so uh you know that's that's just, I guess, the nature of it. I think people are trying to trying to position and pitch that, you know, people are creating these DevOps environments. And I think that's when sometimes it fails, when people are like, no, 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 we need, we need this big cloud native infrastructure. And we need to get all these DevOps guys, even though it's so expensive. And, you know, where we see it succeeding is when people are just trying to say, okay, I've got this application and I've got these pain points. And, and you know, given the best of breed stuff out there today, how do I solve that? And that leads itself into that type of deployment. Yeah. And, and final question as we're, we're kind of hitting our, our, our time here. Um, and I, I said I wanted to talk about fragmentation as well. So, the, you know, what your earlier uh, topic, it, it popped in my head of, okay, you're consolidating the roles, but your, your fragmentation or potentially with containers and microservices and a lot of these, like you, as you go from this big monolithic environment we used to have into these more microservices based, you, you tend to have this fragmentation of keeping everything in, in sync, keeping everything in line, keeping everything, you know, talking to each other and, you know, it's it's funny when people you know have asked me in the past. It's like, okay, how do you do deal with all of that, and and especially uh, you know automation at scale. And it's like, well, it's all APIs and it's all policy driven. You know, those tend to be the the two golden uh, buzzwords, mm. if you will. But but you know, break it down for folks a little bit more practically beyond just hey, it's APIs and it's policies, right? How do you manage? hundreds to thousands of instances of, of anything, 
these days. Well, and and one thing that I must touch on uh, at the end of that is that there's a people element that people seem to forget. You know, there's like a human element to it, which is becoming a real problem. But so, yeah, I think the first thing to mention there is that, yes, at the very top level, when you've got many thousands of these type of deployments happening at scale and spinning up and spinning down in rapid time, uh, you know, it's very much leaning to how you automate deployments, how you build it into your CI, CD type processes. And, you know, how you run APIs to all these things. But the truth is that in a lot of infrastructure and a lot of environments, even at big clients, that can be overkill. And I think sometimes people are overkilling it. That's my feeling. You know, people are building environments that they don't need and then they have their lead engineer leave and they can't work out how everything was running. Or three weeks later, the, the latest thing is to do something completely differently. You know, I think very much it's important to build infrastructure for what you're trying to achieve. You know, like don't force something into serverless when it doesn't it doesn't fit there. And, and, and that's one trend that I really don't like. Um, but, yes, when you do have many devices like this, you need ones that are intelligent and aware of that. So and it's like it's such a, a broad spectrum of how you address that. So, you know, like I said, we've got clients that have 400 load balances. So you need a, a smart way of communicating with them. You know, via like smart APIs, you need them to service discover so that they automatically scale up new servers. And so there's, you know, minimal human interaction uh, and, and to view them all in that stuff. But you also need like a business that's pricing model makes sense for that, that support model makes sense for that, that all, you know, and that's not me saying, oh, you know, look at Snap because you're going to save money. It's It's not about that. It's that, you know, you need something that follows that kind of license on demand methodology of what you're deploying. Uh, and so that's one thing where the ADC market, I think, has, has fallen behind, you know, something that we've tried to solve. Um, but then the human element is something that's concerning businesses today big time. I was at a client this morning talking to them and they were saying, yeah, like, you know, we love this idea. We love the idea that when we've got someone that's doing special projects or something, they don't have to wait two weeks for change control because they wanted to make a change on the load balance that runs Internet banking. Um, you know, they can just run their own instance. They can, you know, uh, scale it up, scale it down. They can deploy it. They can move it from private to public cloud because it's all just, you know, software, right? Yeah, but right. How, right, right. what do they do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what do they do when they've got 100 of these or 200 of these? How do they make sure that it's controlled? Like, you know, these guys are sitting above the level of the people that are using them and saying, well, you know, we're going to get just creep and, and, and they're going to be deployed everywhere and we'll have no idea. And, and, you know, how do we manage this type of thing? And I think that's where people are struggling. And that's where people should be trying to build these sort of DevOps teams that have tool sets and toolkits to to manage these things and, and view them. Because, like, otherwise it just becomes – like it becomes the mess you were trying to avoid, you know, like you can, I mean, like I said, 400 load balances and you've got 10 to 20 servers behind each of them and they're all running individually, like in different data centers, different clouds, cloud providers across the world. You know, the way you manage that is with a team, not with software. Yeah. It's the uh, classic, uh, don't do technology for technology's sake. Um, exactly. and the, the other thing, and, you know, kind of the history of, of this podcast, you know, we've seen a lot of emerging trends and there does tend to be pendulum swings of every, just about anything of, yeah, it's the new, it's the new shiny thing. And then it gets over rotated too. And then it goes into, you know, this, this pendulum swings back and then everyone, you know, finds the problems and then it gets a back, a little bit of a backlash. And then eventually the, the pendulum settles in and we, we have that nice middle ground where it is another tool in the toolbox. Um, and you get the rational design and rational thinking that tend to go behind That's, it then. 
that's a perfect description. Yeah, because that's what I'm trying to caution against is, you know, sometimes it turns out that a couple of pieces of hardware running on premise are the answer or sometimes just, you know, a few cloud instances or an on-premise VMware install or other times, you know, a massive container, like a massive swarm of, of containers is the right answer. But that's less so than people seem to think. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot of jumping on that bandwagon. Yep. Agreed. So, Dave, um, that's probably the, the time we have for today. How can everyone uh, find out more about you, find out more about Snapped and, and um, reach out to you and, and figure out what you have going on? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, you know, we're a product company. So what makes me happy is if people go to snap.net and uh, click the free trial and and play with it, you know, Uh, kick the tires, mess around with it, set up your own dev environment, see what it can do. Uh, That's kind of the, 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 the win for us really is just getting people to try it. Fantastic. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Dave. And on behalf of Brian, who wasn't able to make it this week, thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 